You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. feel like who art ed. I'm trying to spice it. Who art ed? Mr. Wood art ed me. Either way. It's ambiguous. It works on so many levels. I know. That's off to a great start. Welcome to Who Arted Weekly Art History for All Ages. I'm your host, Kyle Wood. And today, we're looking at Jacob Lawrence. Jacob Lawrence was born September 17, 1917, in Atlantic City, New Jersey. He was the oldest of three children. His father worked as a cook for the railroad, but in 1919, he moved the family to Pennsylvania so he could find work in the coal mines. In 1924, when Jacob was seven years old, his parents split up. He and his siblings went with his mom first to Philadelphia and then to Harlem. While he was growing up in Harlem, he was enrolled in the local public school, and after school, he went to the Utopia Children's Center. Harlem had a vibrant community. I mean, we talk about the Harlem Renaissance and all of the culture being produced out of that small pocket of New York at that time. Jacob Lawrence found a community that was very supportive in nurturing his artistic talents. He described librarians and other artists who encouraged him and people who really would put their money where their mouth was. I mean, in later interviews, he would talk about libraries buying his works, often for a relatively small amount of money. They might pay him 5 or $10 for a painting. But he said as a teenager and young adults, just the validation, the fact that people saw value in what he was creating It meant a lot. Now, Lawrence was 12 years old when the family moved to Harlem. And so, obviously, he would go to the after-school programs because his mom was working. Kids need to go somewhere. And at the time, the after-school program, the arts programs, were run by a number of different different relatively prominent artists. I mean, Ramir Bearden was involved in the art scene there, but Jacob Lawrence was mentored by Charles Alston, who recognized his talents immediately. One of the things I found really interesting as Jacob Lawrence was talking about Alston's direction, um, he said that What was really great was he would nurture and guide and support him without imposing his style on him. Alston left Jacob Lawrence sort of the room to experiment and develop his own style. And I noticed a parallel when I saw other interviews of people who had learned from Jacob Lawrence. They said 
he had a way of teaching and guiding and supporting without imposing his style on them. And I think it's worth always noting that like a really good mentor is not just teaching someone to be a carbon copy of themselves. It's helping that young aspiring artist or an aspiring individual in any way to come into themselves and reach their fullest potential. And from what I've seen, Jacob Lawrence found that with Charles Alston and others in the community. In interviews towards the end of his life, like in the 1990s, Jacob Lawrence talked about painting as being a space where he could express the ideas he couldn't put into words. He also said he liked that it was a space where he could make his own decisions and feel like he had some control. As a young black teenager, there weren't a lot of spaces where he felt empowered to make his own choices. In school, he was told what to do all day. As he walked down the streets, he would hear the followers of various religious, social, and political movements preaching. In painting, though, it was about his observations, his ideas, and his choices. He continued to make art as he went to high school, but while Jacob Lawrence was in high school, the Great Depression hit. His mom lost her job, and as the oldest child, he felt a responsibility to help the struggling family to make ends meet. He had to drop out of school to take odd jobs. He eventually landed what's referred to as an easel job, using his talents for a government program, you know, part of the WPA and all of that. I think he was in the conservation corps. In the 1930s, he took classes at a local library branch, which housed a collection of black history, literature, and prints. He studied art, earned a scholarship to the American Artist School in New York. He was a great painter, developing a style of abstraction in line with some of the trends of the day. I mean, we see some similarity to the flatness in synthetic cubism and movements like that. But I think one key distinction is a lot of modern abstract art tended to simplify getting rid of specifics in order to make the work more universal and open to wider range of interpretations. Jacob Lawrence was very specific and concrete with his works based on deep historical research as well as his own lived experience in his family history. He's probably best known for the Migration series. While it wasn't his first narrative series, he had made multi-paneled works about Frederick Douglass, Harriet Tubman, and others. The Migration series was his biggest. Each individual panel was relatively small, just 18 by 12, but he painted 60 of them. He used tempera paints, partially out of just familiarity with the medium. As I said, he lived through the Depression and quite a bit of scarcity, so tempera was relatively cheap and easy to get his hands on. But he also wanted to mix up a bunch of that paint so he could work quickly across all the canvases, giving them a unified look. Of course, while the series may have had a unified look, it was also depicting a massive shift and disunity within America. The Migration series depicts the migration of black Americans from the rural south to the industrial north around World War I. This was a massive historical event for the nation, but also 
deeply personal for Jacob Lawrence as his family were among those that migrated. Across these 60 panels, he gives us the full spectrum of human emotions. The series begins at a train station as people are preparing to depart. Throughout the series, we see people reading letters from loved ones who had already moved north. We see luggage piled high and people's hopes raised higher as they set out on their journey to a new life. We see those hopes dashed as they arrive in cities, seeing the working conditions, cramped and dilapidated housing. While all the panels feature people, it's not a portrait of individuals, rather a community. We see their story come full circle as it ends at a train station once again with the words, and the migrants kept coming. In prepping for this episode, I watched several old interviews. In one, towards the end of his life, I mean, it looked like it came from the 1990s, he was talking about feedback he had gotten from a piece where he painted Harriet Tubman. He had painted her as muscular with big hands from scrubbing floors, and people were appalled, saying, how dare he paint her in such an ugly way? He kind of laughed a bit as he questioned what people thought Tubman's lived experience was like. It wasn't exactly a pleasant stroll just casually walking people up to Canada. He said people have this preconceived notion of conventional standards of beauty as very polished, and anything that doesn't fit those criteria will just be categorized as ugly. But Jacob Lawrence said he didn't see anyone or anything as ugly. He said ugly was more about character and actions. I think what I love about Jacob Lawrence's work is that he was direct and clear-eyed about what was ugly in the world, but his work wasn't primarily about that. In the Migration series, we see the blunt reality as black people moved north to find work, to find better housing, to get away from lynchings and the oppressive Jim Crow South. We see the struggles and the pain that they sustained as they moved into dense urban environments with rundown tenement housing. The racism may have been more blatant, extreme, and oppressive in the South, but the North was no picnic either as factory work was difficult and often dangerous. Another dimension of social disorder was added as the free train tickets to the North were often paid for by factory owners who wanted to bring in a black labor force as scabs to undercut unions, and they expected to be paid back when the migrants found jobs. There's a lot of ugliness in that history. But Jacob Lawrence had a way of showing all that and still focusing on something beautiful. The struggle. We see that in his migration series. We obviously see it in his struggle series, which many would say is actually even greater as it's a bit more expansive. We see it in his builders. The emphasis on tools, labor, construction. That struggle may not fit conventional beauty standards, but a struggle is a yearning for something better put into action. It's constructive and ultimately an act of hope. It reminds me of Rodin's Burgers of Calais in the way that he shows us just how difficult the reality was because understanding that truth makes people struggle, their hope, and their achievements even more inspiring. 
Jacob Lawrence described his work as a sort of philosophy spoken through paint, but as podcasting is an audio medium, I'm going to end this episode with a quote where he tries to put that philosophy into words. He said, quote, If at times my productions do not express the conventionally beautiful, there's always an effort to express the universal beauty of man's continuous struggle to lift his social position and to add dimension to his spiritual being. This concludes this week's episode of Who Arted, part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. If you found this tolerable, please leave a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. You can find images of the work being discussed this week and every week on social media at Who Arted Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And of course, on the website, whoartedpodcast.com. Podcast done.